It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we look at some sports topics of local and area interest, maybe a national topic or two if it piques our interest. We've got a gambling segment and a segment where you can ask me any question on any topic. Go to Twitter. Hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything, and Rick will round them up and read them off, and I'll answer away. Uh, we got a lot to get to on this podcast. How we doing, Rick? I'm good. I'm a little thrown off because I have, I think I've been to the Montgomery and Boathouse maybe two or three times in my entire life. One of them was just last week, last Wednesday or Thursday, and we were supposed to go again tonight for another family function. And so that, I found that weird to begin with. And then lo and behold, the place catches on fire. So now we are not going back to Montgomery and Boathouse. But I, I had a question from my last visit there, Skinny, that yes. I just f- find foul. It's one of the things that I can't understand why people would ever do this. But I walked to the restroom before we were leaving and the guy got up from the bar, followed me in there, and he's standing at the urinal next to me with his old fashioned in his hand at the urinal. Do you have any takes on guys bringing their drinks into the bathroom with them? I I was going to say, you need to keep drinking that badly. I I, I like a cocktail and a beer every now and then, and probably more times than most, but I don't think I've taken my drink to the restroom with me. I mean, are you, is he fearful? Somebody's going to steal it from him. I think I would rather eat my food off of the floor of the Montgomery and boathouse than drink my drink after it's been in the bathroom. To me, that's just like one of the most foul things that's, a human can do. That, that that is that is that is quite weird. And it's not that even really like weird. a fountain soda where it's got a lid and stuff. I mean, you've just got a short little bourbon glass that's just getting pea particles all in it. Weird. Yeah, that's 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 a little that's a little weird. But by, by the way, and I just for a guy I was it's doing some uh, some analysis for me on on high school football games. I, I do Lebanon games. For a for a streaming company and, and a former coach is my my side my analyst. I literally yesterday just bought him a Montgomery Inn gift card for, for as, a, as a thank you because I said if you could go any place with your wife where you're being I said you know what Montgomery Inn boathouse he said he said that would be nice I said perfect I'll get you a gift card for it so we'll see how that goes for him. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Thanks to him. Yeah, it, it's not brought to you by Montgomery Inn boathouse despite those no, wonderful not. ads we just gave them of people peeing yes, in did. their old fashions and setting it on fire and all types yeah, of good stuff. I, but yeah, well maybe, maybe, maybe that's the guy that set it on fire after he had too many old fashions because he was drinking them in the restaurant. I, he looked like the type, if I'm being honest, I don't like to judge, <laughs> but he did. All right, let's get into some sports talk here. We've got the Bengals moved up to number seven in ESPN's latest NFL power rankings and number eight in the AP's pro 32 poll following their big 41 17 win over the Ravens on Sunday. The buzz term around Cincinnati sports talk this week has been, recalibrate as in it's time to recalibrate expectations for this team so i'll ask you skinny the man who was talking about this team's path to seven and two as early as week three of this season where should expectations be set now and how excited should Bengals fans be about this team yeah i'm in that mode too in fact i've I've got a column that'll be up probably by the time this podcast is up at local12.com because some of the players kind of talked about their expectations not recalibrating them but the fact that hey this was a big win we have we have bigger aspirations bigger goals bigger things and, and I, I think we all do have to reset our expectations now because I think this football team has shown it's legitimate. Um, you know, some of those early wins, you go, oh, yeah, it was just the Vikings. And look, they've only won a game. And guys, this is not the Pittsburgh that we all know and remember. And boy, they lost to Chicago and that was ugly. 
Um, boy, you played really hard against Green Bay, but it just showed you're not quite there yet. But now you're there. You just you just went to Baltimore and boat raced a really good team. And I think it shows that you're there, especially when you start to look ahead at the rest of that schedule. And the fact that you start looking around at the, at the fact that, hey, this team's five and two. The two losses are by, by three points. And yeah, a couple of the wins are by three points, too. That's kind of the margin in this league at times. But then you also start to, to, to really, if you gauge this the way I think people should, and I'll ask you this, where do you find a major hole or two on this team? Do you find it on the defensive line? Do you find it at linebacker? Do you find it at corner? Do you find it with the best safety tandem in the NFL? Do you find it at quarterback? Do you find it at running back? Do you find it at any of the three wide receivers? Do you find it at tight end where CJ Uzama's making plays? And honestly, do you really find a major hole on that offensive line at the moment? I don't find major holes. I don't find major flaws in this team. Yes, if injuries beset them, it will test their depth, and then maybe we can certainly revisit this. But as it stands right now, I'm asking you this. What what major hole does this football team have, Rick? I don't think they have one, and that's kind of the same question I was asking myself when I was thinking about this. The thing I, I kept coming back to is, is what they're doing sustainable? And you know, when we were in week three and you started bringing up seven and two and we were seeing those slow starts offensively and we were seeing them not be as aggressive in the Bears game, for instance, I didn't know that it was sustainable the way they were playing. But the, what they've showed us the last few weeks, particularly this Baltimore game, obviously, that's very much sustainable. And I mean, it, a lot of it goes back to what you just pointed out. Where is the big hole. Where do you expect this team to regress at? Where do you feel like they're really playing over their heads? The offense is on the ascent, if anything. I don't think right. they've really reached their peak at all. I think in some ways they're scratching the surface of what they're capable yes, of. Exactly. And maybe like you point out, some defenses will will roll coverages over and take away Jamar Chase more often. And maybe they'll have to change some of the ways they're going about it. But in reality, it's probably going to open up more options than it's going to take away. And with Burrow at the helm, you feel like he'll be able to get those guys involved. I think the offensive line is the weakest point of this team. Yeah. But yes. when, you, when you have the offense and the weapons that this team does, it's not nearly as big of a concern for you to have a dominant offensive line. You just need them to be passable or slightly better. And to this point, I think they've been exactly that. They've been passable. I wouldn't say they've been good at all, but at times they've been pretty good. And, and most of the time they've been just good enough. The defense is where you can maybe make an argument that they've been playing above their level. I don't think they have, though. but at the same time, yeah, it's like, where's the regression going to come from? Maybe like you said, I mean, you're probably talking about injuries, injuries to your cornerbacks. You're a little thin there. I mean, you've obviously got a little smoke and mirrors going on with Eli Apple, it would seem. So there's some reason to question the defense somewhat, but we've also spent the last two weeks during our post-game Bengals podcast talking about them being good at all three levels of this defense. They've got guys who can rush the passer and stop the run up front. They've got a big-time playmaking linebacker in Logan Wilson now. And we obviously know about the secondary and their safety. So you're right. I mean, there just really isn't a hole or a weak link or a reason to look at this team and think they can't keep doing what they're doing the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I look at, at at some of the other better teams in the AFC. One of them was Baltimore. You just beat the crap out of them. Um, you know, we've been waiting for the shoe to drop for Kansas City to finally get it right, and it looks like they just cannot and and may not. 
I think Buffalo is really good, but the, you know they've lost a couple and, and lost that. Their defense can can be be had a little bit. Same for Tennessee's defense. Um, I think those are good teams. Don't get me wrong. I think they're the best of the AFC, but I don't think the Bengals are that far behind them. And, and I'm going to draw a couple of correlations here, and I think some of it too is what you're talking about with the offense on the ascent. Um, and I think some of it. I, I think this past week to me, I thought that's the most confident I've ever watched Joe Burrow look. Um, the way he bought time in the pocket. Uh, just the way he delivered the football. He just looks so poised. You know, it's funny. Phil Sims last week made that comparison to Joe Montana. As I'm watching that game, I'm like, spot on. I mean, he's he's just doesn't have that big howitzer, doesn't wow you with that huge gun of an arm, doesn't take crazy risky chances. Yeah, he did throw the bad interception in the end zone, and he's the first to admit it. And 99% of the time, he'd say, I'd like to have that back and, and live to kick the field goal. I'm going to live with that if he's going to make all these other plays. Um, you know, Joe, Joe Montana threw some interceptions too, people. So it, it, it happens. Um, I, I think that's the other part is you're right. I think this offense is on the ascent and, and I kind of correlate this and I, I know this is going to go way above the skis. I kind of correlate this a little bit to the 81 and 88 Bengals where the 81 team got by with a couple of early wins. The first game of that year, they were down 21, nothing and they benched Ken Anderson and in came Turk Schoenert and they won. And the next week they go to New York and win by a point and um, win an overtime game. I believe in week four, after they lost in week three, they won an overtime game against Buffalo and nobody really knew what to make of that team. And as that year rolled along, Ken Anderson was so good. He just kept getting better and better and better and had the best year of his career was the MVP 88. You know, you're coming off of a 4-11 year the year before, strike short year. It looked like Sam Weiss had lost the football team with, with him and the quarterback at loggerheads. And, you know, you didn't really know what you had in some of your offensive weapons. And they won a game the very first game of the year that year. They had a goal line stand against the then uh, the then Phoenix Cardinals, was what they were called, the, the now Arizona Cardinals. They had a goal line stand and survived 28-21 and won a couple of early games that you're thinking, boy, how did they win those? And you look up and that team started rolling and... and I think this thing is this team is starting to roll at the right time when you're playing a winnable game this week. You're playing a winnable home game next week, even though I think Cleveland, when healthy, is really good. And then you play after the bye, five of your last eight games are home games as well. And, and some of those games that we thought were daunting before the year started, and this is how it always is, right? Kansas City's no longer that daunting. The Chargers aren't overly daunting. I think they're really good. Uh, San Francisco's not as daunting as we thought. So some of those games were like, oh, they're not going to beat them, even though it's at home. Some of those are less daunting. And now I look up and I do have to recalibrate. And I do have to reset my expectations because this team is proving it's really good. And it's now going to face a part of the schedule where it's actually favorable to them. Yeah, just looking at some projections here from the website 538. They now have the Bengals with a projected record of 11 and 6, which would be best in the AFC North. Uh, obviously with them predicted to win the AFC North, they have really good chances of making the playoffs as well. Those chances currently sit at 75% for the Bengals to make the playoffs, which, I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen numbers like that thrown around with the Bengals this early in the season and right. talking about the playoffs. And I mean, it's not a lock yet necessarily, but we're getting to the point where it's almost going to be hard for this team not to make the playoffs at, at some no, point. That's with, right them piling up wins like this and just going back to the borough conversation and last game i thought one of the most encouraging parts of last week's game was not just his presence and his poise in the pocket like you mentioned but his performance against the blitz and i think you wrote about this this did, week there's yeah. a lot of good content a lot of good Bengals content this week but you saw him processing and diagnosing the defenses and the the blitzes and the stunts and all that stuff from the Ravens at a highly efficient level, which 
is such a good sign because it means his game translates. You're right. He doesn't have the rocket arm. He's a good athlete, but not a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray or some guy that's going to like run all over your defense and make a bunch of plays in that way. What made him special was he saw defenses. He could understand what defense were throwing at him. He could process it in real time and he could make great decisions. We saw him do that last week against a defense that's banged up, but also one of the more confusing defenses and tougher defenses to figure out for a young quarterback. He did it really well. You had his numbers against the Blitz, which were just absurd last week. Yeah, he was 10, 10, 10 of 15. I'm doing this off the top of my head. 10 of 15 for, I think, 224, two, two touchdowns, and the one interception he threw in the end zone, the one where he was backpedaling and threw it up for grabs for a 121 passer rating. It's absurd. Against it, the blitz, against it, that blitz, it really was. So you, you you take all that and you go, okay, good. Like this is exactly the guy you were hoping he could be in the NFL, and he's he's looking like all that and more. But skinny, there's still a little more to his game potentially as a guy who can extend plays as he gets more healthy with that knee and feels more comfortable getting out of pocket. Because we did see some of that burrow magic and his ability to take some broken plays and, and make something crazy happen. And with a weapon like Jamar Chase and the way he's been using Uzama. I think there's a possibility that he continues to take his game to another level from what we've already seen too. So uh, there were just a lot of reasons that we've seen through the first several weeks overall, but it all really culminated in that Ravens game because you wanted to see it against a really legit tough AFC North opponent on the road. And they did all that. And I mean, I would even throw Lou Anarumo's defense right there in it too. I mean, Lou Anarumo and the way he's calling that defense gives me as much confidence almost as Joe Burrow right now. They're kind of going hand in hand. Yeah. And I, I think he's calling that defense the way he wanted to, has wanted to call it all along because he's got the pieces that he's wanted all along. He's got versatile pieces. He's got guys who, who know how to play disciplined football. Um, you know, to rush Lamar Jackson, you, you can't just run up the field like a crazy man, like the Carl Austin's and Carlos Dunlaps of the world. Yeah. He might get him once, but you're going to give him escape routes. And yeah, Lamar got out a few times. Cause you know what Lamar is going to do. He's going to get out a few times, but for the most part, I mean, to sack that guy five times and have him go 15 to 31 when, you know, the, the whole narrative has been, and it's right, it's a correct narrative, is how much he's improved as a passer. And he has improved as a passer. Um, it's The proof's in the numbers, for goodness sakes, and the proof's in the performance. And to hold that guy to 15 of 31, and, and I think we talked about this on the podcast Sunday, you can see the exasperation on the 4th and 15 where he scrambled around, he's looking and he's looking and he's looking. Nobody's open. He just kind of flipped it to a running back on a check down. It was almost to say, here, you take it. I'm done. Night, night. I'm. It's over with for me. So, yeah, I, I think so. And I think the other part, too, Rick, is, and I think you got to have this guy, right? We didn't know who Tyreek Hill was before he became Tyreek Hill, right? I mean, he just all of a sudden popped up one day for Kansas City. You're like, damn, that dude can run. And look at the difference he makes in that football team. The Bengals have that guy. Maybe not as fast as Tyreek Hill, but they've got an elite-level playmaker. And you got to have a guy like that. I mean, a guy that takes an 8-yard slant and turns into an 82-yard touchdown, that happens in college. That happens in high school. That doesn't happen in the NFL. It just doesn't. You just, two guys are too good at tacklers. They're too good at athletes on that side of the ball too. And he made that look like child's play. I mean, he really did. He made it look like I'm the best cat in the neighborhood and I'm the best guy around every single time. I'm 10 and the other guys are seven years old and they're going to fall right off of me and I'm faster than them because I'm older than them. And I'm just going to outrun them. That's what he looked like. He looked like a guy playing with, with a bunch of kids and they've got that guy. Well, it looked exactly like the typical high school, high-level prospects playing against local Northern right, Kentucky kids right, or something right. like that, you know, where it's just like, they just don't really match up like this guy. They're not the same type of athletes, but... And Marlon Humphrey is! That's the thing, and Marlon Humphrey is! 
Yeah, he's extraordinarily good. ESPN does a, a good segment with Dan Orlovsky and, and Ryan Clark where they break down some film. I don't know if you saw the one they did. With I the, did. I, I, I've seen some of their I, I do enjoy this. I have not seen it this week, though. But yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you what you said, though. I, I do like them. Yeah, they did a good segment with the Bengals. And the first clip they were looking at, the first couple of clips was Burrow against the Blitz. And they showed some really good stuff there and how he was doing a good job of being responsible for the free rusher and, and processing all that stuff quickly. But then they also went over to the defensive side of the ball. And Ryan Clark, who... Played a lot of years in the NFL, saw a lot of different things, probably was in a lot of different schemes during his time playing, was showing something Lou Anarumo was doing with his coverages and saying, I have no idea what this is. Like, I couldn't tell you what type of defense they're playing right now. I'm not sure what he's doing here, but it was working in the within the game plan. You heard some of the players, Chidobe Awuzie, when he was talking to you guys this week, right. talk about that a little bit. He's like, I can't get into too many details. We're going to play them again. But yeah, we had some different off coverages, zone stuff that we were using, and and it worked well for that matchup. So and part of what Awuzie said, and, and he, I don't think he's tipping his hand. I mean, I, I'm, the, the Ravens can look at film on this. <laughs> right. they, were, they were playing some zone concepts of, of making sure that when they were passing off guys that they all had their eyes on Lamar. I think that was the concept that Lou wanted was he didn't want anybody to have their back to Lamar at any time. They wanted all eyes on Lamar to see, A, where he's going and to see if he's going to take off and run. And then they call it plaster. If he starts to take off, you you immediately latch to a guy in your area and plaster him until the play's over. And I, I think that was some of the concept that they used for sure. Um, and it probably did look confusing because it probably did look like some man stuff with some zone concepts. And like I said, all those guys are have their eyes on Lamar. And I, again, it's not just... It's not just that, that he didn't take off and make unscripted plays. He was also 15 of 31 passing. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that was because of the coverage. Well, and there's also like one of the things he was showing where he was like, I have no idea what coverage this is. It was like three Bengals defenders playing, I want to say 10 to 15 yards off the ball over there in like a bunch it almost looked like a uh, man. I, you couldn't really tell what they were doing because they're so far off, but yet it was two defensive backs and a safety that were all bunched up over on one side. Just something you don't normally see. Normally you see like two defensive backs and maybe a safety rolling over the top, but farther back and, and right. in a safety position, or you see a linebacker coming over there. It was just, it was odd to see. And again, when it's a guy like Ryan Clark, who played so many years in the NFL does this for a living, he's going, I don't even know what you call that defense, but it was working. It just kind of, again, gives me a little bit of excitement about Lou Anarumo and what he's got going on with this defense. He's got the guys to do what he wants to do, and now it seems like he's getting creative and he's making things difficult on other quarterbacks. It's nice to be in this position where we're talking about other quarterbacks getting confused by the Bengals defense right, as right. opposed to uh, vice versa. No, right, that's exactly right. Skinny, another Bengals question here real quick before we move on to some college football. This was actually an Ask Skinny Anything question that came in, but I think it's worth sliding in right here because we'll probably get into it a little bit. This person wanted us to rank the Bengals' three most important players right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Ooh, that's I mean, a good one's one. easy, right? Burrow. Chase, yeah, no, no, one for me is Chase. Really? Th- You'd go yeah. Chase over Burrow? I would just because like I, I talked about – you got a guy that can take an eight-yard slant and turn it into an 82-yard touchdown. Joe Burrow can't do that. Joe Burrow does a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. Burrow's number two. Uh, again, I, yeah, Burrow's number two because the drop-off to Brandon Allen is is humongous. Well, do but, you think Jamar but, Chase would be Jamar Chase if Brandon Allen was throwing him the ball? Uh, I think Brandon Allen can throw an eight-yard eight yard slant route. 
I do know that. I don't know if he can, you know, throw balls like Joe Burrow does down the field and, and get you into the right place. I know Brandon Allen can throw an eight-yard slant. I've watched it in practice. So I, I, with authority, I can tell you Brandon Allen can throw an eight-yard slant. And you know what Jamar Chase has shown he can do on occasion? Take that 82 yards for a touchdown. So, yes, I'm going Jamar Chase one. I think he makes that big a difference in this offense because you still, even if something happened to Burrow, God forbid, and it has to be Brandon Allen, defenses are going to start to have scheming, have to start scheming to, to Jamar Chase, right or wrong. No matter who the quarterback is, they're going to have to do it. Because even Brandon Allen, while he's a backup quarterback for a reason, if you're going to give him matchups one-on-one with Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase is going to still go win those matchups. I promise you. Look, I, I agree with everything you're saying about Jamar Chase, and he's awesome. I have him number two, without a doubt. Right, right so we flip-flopped. We, I'll give you an interesting three, but go ahead and make but, your point. But, let me just throw this three. out there, though. Have there not been plenty of examples of teams with dynamite wide receivers, but their team still sucks because they don't have a quarterback? They don't have the, the, the head of the snake? I mean, I just feel like we've seen teams that have great quarterbacks and no weapons, and they're still usually pretty good teams still. What we and, and we're rec- great receivers, no quarterback, they're usually not very good. No, that's fair, and, and we're recording this on Thursday morning as we usually do. We either do it Wednesday or Thursday, but more times than not Thursday. And there's a on paper a really good Thursday night game tonight. We're going to see Aaron Rodgers deal with that, right? No Devontae Adams, no uh, no uh, Alan Lazard, so he's down two of his best wide receivers, and he'll still probably make them look good because he's Aaron Rodgers. I think your point's a good one, but I just think Jamar Chase is 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 a step above almost everybody. I, honestly, God, I really believe that. Fair enough, and and I actually would I think probably he's that agree dynamic. with that in terms of like he's more of an elite talent at his position than Burrow is at his. I agree with that for sure. Right. But I think to the importance of the Bengals winning games, I'm taking, if I, if I can only have one of the two, I'm taking Burrow, but I, it's a close call that one That's and fair. two for me were very easy. Those two are obvious selections. When you get yeah, to number I'm with three, you. I'm with you. that's where I think it gets really, I've got, I've got my three. I'm going to go Jonah Williams because okay. if, if he goes down, who fills that spot? Yeah, you mm. could flop Riley Reef there. That's fine. He's played it before. But then who fills Riley Reef's spot? Isaiah Prince, really? Really? That's a great point, especially when you factor in the idea that how weak does your weakest link become then all of a sudden? The house of cards just seems right. to come crumbling right. down right. really quickly right. if you lose a Jonah Williams type guy or or a Riley Reef for that matter might be almost as bad. But Jonah being on that blind side, that's that would be huge. I yeah. went a different direction. I went to the other side of the ball. And I'll say Logan Wilson. To, to me, he's the biggest That's difference on that defense from last year to this year. He's taken a major step forward and given them a legit playmaker in the middle level of their defense. They had the safeties. They had some pass rush last year. That's obviously gotten better this season for, for a few different reasons. But the middle of that field, the intermediate stuff, the plays that we're now seeing, both against the run and even in the passing games with some of the interceptions and deflections, Logan Wilson, for me, would be in the number three guy. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I thought you were going to go Trey Hendrickson on me, and I thought you know, Trey's been great. You could but, make that argument, too. But 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 the thing is, um, you're getting healthier at that position, too. Khalid yeah. Kareem's on his way back, and they've rotated some guys through. I, I'm still not sold at Darius. I'm still... Uh, not not so sure that Darius Hodge, if he had to be a pass rush specialist, still wouldn't be really good. I, I mean, I Agreed. again, I know it was just the preseason, but if you had to just say, uh, you know, the the, the luxury Lou Anarumo has is he's got two three down ends to play, right? He's got Sam Hubbard and he's got Trey Hendrickson, and he was going to probably kick Sam down inside if Joseph Oside stayed healthy and 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 had a really dynamic pass rush group. But he's still got a really good pass rush group. But it is so. I think Trey's been great. So I don't want to downplay what he's done, but we're talking importance, right? Yeah. Um, I think if I had to go a fourth guy, Logan Wilson would be that guy because 
while Jermaine Pratt's been pretty good, I really don't notice him a lot. And we noticed Akeem Davis Gaither in this last game in a good way. He, you know, they played three linebackers a lot. He had seven tackles and, um, you know, almost came up with that fumble off the strip. And um, I thought he showed that, that he could make some plays and that's great to see. But that Mike linebacker role where you're getting everybody in the right look and you're the guy in the middle for a reason to patrol all parts of the field and, and, and have the range to do so. And, uh, I, I think you're right to some degree that, that if you lost that cat, I don't know what the drop-off would be, but I think it would be fairly significant to try to to try to try fill him. So if I went four, I'd go him. I just think the offensive line to me is kind of a house of cards as is. And if you were to lose those tackles, I think you'd you, it, would, it would be hard to replace them. It's hard to argue with that. I think my perspective, I was thinking a little bit more of Logan Wilson – gives you more and is a better player at this point in his position than Jonah Williams is. But your point of, hey, if Joe Williams goes down, you're in a whole world of trouble. So it gives him a little more importance maybe than a Logan Wilson. I think both both points are pretty valid there, and it's it's a close call between either one. But those, to me, are then the clear three and four. I think Burrow Chase are a clear one and two. Those two guys are clear three and four. And then after that, there's a whole lot of answers you can get into. Yeah, right, right, right. No, I, I, that was well phrased because um, I, I think when he uses the word important, I think you have to kind of gauge what does that mean. Not best, not, you know, I think the three most right. important. Um, and I like the fact he limited it to three. I mean, if you want to give me 10, give you 10 easily. If you want to give me five, I can probably give you five easily. Three makes it a good debate. Even though the top two um, are pretty easy for both of us, we, we just flip-flopped them. But I, that was a good question. I liked it. Me too. All right, Skitty, let's switch gears here. The college football team in Cincinnati remained undefeated last week with a win over Navy. However, the Bearcats have taken some flack from their detractors this week for struggling to get past the now 1-6 midshipmen by a score of 27-20 to in Annapolis. Do you think a close call against Navy hurt the Bearcats' chances at all of reaching the college football playoff? I, I'm going to say no because I think anybody that's logical, and I hope I'm, I'm expecting committee members to be logical, um, can, can take that as a one-off. Um, everybody's going to have a one-off. Now, listen, if UC follows that up by scuffling with Tulane and scuffling with Tulsa and scuffling with South Florida before the SMU game, and I expect that to probably be a close game, and it should be. It's a ranked team against a ranked team. But if you do that in the next couple of games and you play that lethargically and, and, with, and, and you know, get by the skin of your teeth, then, yeah, I think that starts to ding you a little bit. But a one-off... And it kind of looked worse than it was because UC really did look like, I mean, they were in control at 27 to 10 in the fourth quarter and Navy did have that onside kick attempt that they recovered. So it technically gave them a chance to, to, to pull one out late, but I don't think UC was really in true danger of losing that game. And, and so the, the other thing I would say is, is to those that say this, uh, let me give you a couple of scores, Rick, if I may. Um, this team beat Tulane 40 to 35. It beat Nebraska 23 to 16 it beat West Virginia 16 to 13. It beat Texas 55-48 on a miracle play. And on a miracle play, it pulled out a win against Kansas 35-23. You know who I'm talking about, right? Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, don't they don't have don't a they... convincing win hardly at all. Uh, they do. Western Carolina, they beat 76 0. So good there for you them. Go. <laughs> no, I didn't I was, count that um, one, but <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I'm sorry, I skipped over one. Kansas State 37-31. I mean, what what have they done to make you go wow, right? Yeah. And and we're gonna ding UC for a one-off? I'm telling you right now, UC's win at Notre Dame is better than any of the wins they got. No, definitely. By far. It, it only matters. This game against Navy and, and UC, quote-unquote, barely winning it, or however you want to phrase that, only matters if it becomes a trend. 
Right. No one looks back at this one game and uses it to kill a resume. That's just unrealistic. It's unreasonable. I mean, I know UC has to more than clear the benefit of the doubt here to get into the playoff and everything, but using a 27-20 win over a game where, you know, get off to a sluggish start and then clearly get in control of and, and hang on is not a realistic way to look at things. I mean, if that's what we're doing to keep them out of the playoffs, just burn the whole thing down and stop. I mean, well, Rick, Rick, I I think Kentucky's a top 15 and maybe even a top 10 team. And I think they've proven that, Um, you know, going to Georgia and playing toe to toe with them, I think also proves that the wins over LSU and Florida prove that, you know what they also did. They got by the skin of the teeth against Chattanooga. Remember anybody remember that? It's a one-off. It It happens. Exactly. I mean, and that's just, that's part of the game. So, I mean, in some ways, being a good team and being a team with a playoff caliber resume is about not slipping up and losing those games on the days you don't have right. it, the days right. you, you get off to the sluggish starts. They've now overcome that twice. It was very convincing at Indiana where they overcame the slow first half. This game against Navy, they just weren't as good. I think there might have been a lesson learned for them there because what Navy did, according to everything UC players and coaches have said, is they just completely abandoned their defensive system. They just showed them something completely new that they haven't done all year. Seems like they hadn't done it in a while on film, even going back a few years. So I think this might be a lesson for UC of, hey, some of these teams in your conference who have nothing else to play for this year right. other than ruining your season That's right. might just throw the kitchen sink at you. And you're going to have to be ready for it. So instead of maybe game planning as disciplined and structured as you usually do where you're really working on installing specifically for that team's defensive game plan. Maybe you stick more to stuff that this works for us, no matter who we're playing type deal. You know, this is our best stuff and maybe you stick to that a little bit more. I I don't know what the answer is there, but I think that's maybe the big takeaway from this game is be prepared to see more, more junk defenses, more schemes that you haven't seen before from some of these lower teams in your conference, because I wouldn't be surprised if they take a page out of Navy's book in that regard. Now, l- let me give you one little hiccup area for UC, and it, it's, I'm probably nitpicking here, and, and please, you can you can jump in and, and say, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not buying that. Desmond Ritter doesn't look right as a runner to me right now, and at least in that game, he didn't. He, it looked like he almost ran afraid of being hit, and I don't know if that was by design of, listen, Des, don't take any undue shots in a game like this. We need you. He, you know, he's a weapon with his feet, and I just didn't sense that in this game. Well, I think that's for the last couple of years, I think that's always been a weird balancing act for him and his coaching staff, where it seems like there are often times where they're leaving big plays out there or opportunities to be more versatile and aggressive with their offense and using him as a weapon. And they just don't seem to want to do that or they're hesitant to do so. So maybe it was just more of that. And like you said, maybe it's because when they're playing a team that's one in five, they don't want to take chances right. if they don't have to. So and I get it. I get it. Sure. I, I will say, I, while I don't think this close win mattered for their college football playoff resume, I do think it mattered for his Heisman chances. I, they were probably long shot chances anyway. I think they were long shots anyway. For sure. But this pretty much seals the deal. I mean, he's not going to be able to get in with a performance like that mm-hmm. against Navy. And and I think he pretty much had to ball out the rest of the way. So I, I, I'm still shocked that scouts have him as high <laughs> as they do as the NFL prospect. To be honest, I, just I do too. Haven't seen I, I, that. I, I think he's a great college quarterback. I think he's I think a winner. He is too. He's I'm not an questioning winner. him after one bad game like he had against Navy, but I just don't quite see what they see in him as an NFL prospect. 
Yeah, and, and I, I hope it works out for him. I mean, I, I know you do too. Nobody's rooting against him. I'm kind of with you though. I, I don't. I've never seen that. I think he's a he's a winning college quarterback, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, he's he's really good at that level, and he probably is going to be the kind of guy that's going to find his way onto a roster and stick around for a while because uh, he just seems like he's got that type of personality. He's going to do everything right. He's going to do everything pre- to prepare himself, and coaches all love that stuff. And so I think he'll he'll make a living playing the game for a for a nice period of time. I just don't see him as a as a high level prospect. It's just me, and I'm not a scout by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I do have a new favorite for the Heisman, though. Who's that? My guy Kenny Pickett from from, from Pitt. I mean, Pitt doesn't stink anymore. Uh-uh. He's a big no. reason why. Now Clemson stinks now, but Pitt doesn't stink anymore. No, he's he is a really big reason why. Um, you know. He- He's, he's only like 28 years old. He's only been playing college football for 13 years. And so that's, I mean, good for him. But um, I, I still kind of got my guy, Kenneth Walker. I still like him, but I just don't know. I just don't know if if they're going to do enough at Michigan State to, to and they got a big one this week with Michigan. I guess if they keep winning, he keeps himself in the picture. But it is weird. There just doesn't seem to be anybody that's bubbled to the surface until I look around and go, damn, Kenny Pickett's been really good. How about him? Yeah, I just feel like this is a year should not be a quarterback. If the, if the quarterback isn't obvious, I think you should look really hard at other positions because every year a quarterback is usually the obvious choice. And I understand it's the most important position in the game. I would have a hard time not giving it to a quarterback most years. But this year where we have seen the top three or four Heisman candidates, all which were quarterbacks coming into the season, completely fall off the map and are nowhere to be found now in terms of those Heisman races. I think you got to look at another position other than quarterback. Personally, I, I would love to see a running back or all right. Let, let, can I give you a Ken- defensive player. Can I give you Kenny Pickett's numbers? They're good. I, I he's know co- he's, he's completing 67% of his passes for 2,236 yards, 23 touchdowns, one INT and they're six and one. I'm not against Kenny Pickett at all. I've enjoyed watching him in the limited times I've seen him. I'm just saying he wasn't much on the radar coming into the season. I still haven't really heard his name thrown around all that much until the last maybe two or three weeks. You're right. I just, to me, I I think if it's a quarterback, it should be clear cut because they have such a giant advantage for an award like this. There's very rare opportunities to give it to another position. I would look long and hard at some of these running backs and maybe some of the top defensive guys this year, just because it's yeah, very rare from, that you have what, that chance. What, what's, what's the, what's the, I can't even think of his name now. The rec, the record from Georgia, the defensive tackle that just wrecks everybody. Oh, um, his stats aren't glaring, but he just wrecks everybody. Jordan Davis. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he is a monster. And uh, you've got the, the kid at Oregon to Thibodeau. That is, is uh kind yep. of in the same he's a defensive end more so a pass rusher but he's a wrecker as well so there are a couple defensive guys out there who names will be brought up i don't know if any of them are putting up the eye-popping stats that will to get them a heisman but there are a couple running backs that are legitimately in the mix that i'd like to see yeah can can he pick it i think i'm gonna have to make a i had a pretty good weekend last weekend so i've got a little extra dough i may have to put a kenny pickett heisman future bet this week all right i think well, i'm gonna do it well, I don't know what his odds are, but I'll be interested to uh, to see. I bet you they're at least at. double digits. Yeah, I'll I'd say twelve to one to fifteen to one. 
Mm-hmm. Right, one more football question to get into here as we move on and get ready for our betting segment. We now know the details of the full deal between the Buccaneers fan and the organization and Tom Brady to retrieve Brady's 600th career touchdown pass, which was given away by Mike Evans after he scored the touchdown. In exchange for giving back the ball, the fan received one Bitcoin from Tom Brady, valued at $63,000 right now. Two signed Brady jerseys and helmet, valued at $10,000. A Mike Evans signed jersey and game cleats, valued at $2,000. A Bucks store credit, valued at $1,000. Just a shopping shopping spree, I guess. And uh, two season tickets to the 2021 and 2022 seasons, valued at $20,000. Skinny, what is your take on the deal that this Buccaneers fan got for Brady's 600th touchdown ball? For starters, I still don't understand the value of Bitcoin. I'm sorry, I just don't understand the value of it. So I don't know if that's worth anything. I know you say it's worth sixty three thousand. It may be today, but I don't know what it's going to be moving forward. Somebody um, sent me a text last I mean, I week after a, that podcast and said Skinny's on the gold yes. standard. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, those those uh, those Rosalind Capital. I'll go buy the gold from from William Devane on those silly commercials on TV. Um, yeah, no question. L- listen, I'm of the ilk on some of that stuff. I don't want to sound goody good. I'd probably just give the ball back. And the fact he's going to give me something for it, I, I I say thank you. And especially stuff that's valued almost at, when all is said and done. And who knows what some of the values of the, the of the collectibles he got will eventually be down the road. I mean, you probably got yourself about a $100,000 haul for Mike Evans being an idiot, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's sort of the way I look at is, it, too. Thank you. Th- 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 thank you for letting me cash in, Mike Evans, for you being a dope. Everybody online wants to turn this into like they're the best negotiator and deal shark in the world. Like, what an idiot. How does he not know that you leave immediately with the ball and then negotiate over the phone later? It's like, well, I mean, first of all, he's at the game with a friend or family. Maybe maybe he just wants to stay and have a good time and watch the game. He probably paid a lot for the tickets. He might not have a lot of opportunities to go to games like it might be a little more value. To, now, granted, I know we're talking hundreds of thousand dollars, allegedly. I think the estimations were that it could have gone for $500,000 if it were put up for auction, being that 600th touchdown ball, such a rare piece of memorabilia. And I have no doubt that someone would have paid that for it. But I'm kind of with you that like all these people that would just turn into these shrewd negotiators right in the moment after one of your favorite athletes has a huge moment and says, hey, I want that back. Like, I think I'd probably just give it to him and be happy with whatever he's willing to give me in return for the most part. Yeah, you know? and, and hopefully and hopefully that athlete does kind of what Brady did. I mean, you could argue could he give given him more, maybe, but it sounds like he ponied up a pretty good chunk here. That they sounded like a pretty nice deal to me. Yeah, like you said, he's getting over a hundred thousand dollars in value. I mean, the Bitcoin at least gives him something financially. Sure, it's not the five hundred K he could have got, it- but if you do that, you gotta go through like an auction house and get a broker and everything. You're paying fees there, so and taxes. So who knows how much you're really coming away with on that. Yeah, I I think everybody going overboard about the whole negotiating I'm with you. And again, I don't want to sound goody goody about this, but it's not my ball. It's just not. I mean I, 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 if I'm Brady, I think I would have just gone up and 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 slapped Mike Evans on the head and go, "What are you doing, dude? Be a little more, be a little more cognizant of the situation." But um, you know, neither here nor there. I again, I think he got, I think he got a nice value out of honestly being in the right place. And that's the thing; he was in the right place at the right time, right? That's all yeah. that was: right place, right time. And you, you somehow made about a hundred thousand dollars off of sitting in the right place at the right time. I think I would count my lucky stars on that. Yeah, it's like Greg. 
we, we saw your six paragraph rant on Facebook last week about your steak, which wasn't cooked properly at Texas Roadhouse. And you were too much of a coward to ask for them to send it back. I'm, I'm I find it hard to believe that you were going to tell the Bucks organization that, no, I'm not giving Tom Brady back this ball. I'm going <laughs> to run out of the, the stadium with it and then call you guys back later for our negotiation. Like, relax, my man, you know, yeah. just chill. Uh, but yeah, I, do you think it's a super cool piece of memorabilia? I'm not a huge memorabilia guy, but this is one where I'm like, eh, we've never seen 600 before. Who knows when we'll see it again. That's, that is one piece that's right. like, that would be a pretty right. cool thing to have. Yeah. I mean, Pete Rose's 4,256th hit or whatever it was, or actually 4,192, whatever it was. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to have that ball. We may never, he may, nobody's ever going to maybe break that record, uh, especially his last hit, whatever the number was. Um, so yeah, there's some of those numbers that are out there that are cool pieces of memorabilia, but I'm kind of with you. I'm not a big memorabilia guy. I've got some stuff that, that, you know, I haven't bought. I've either collected or just had for years. I mean, do I, one of my favorite collectibles I've got, believe it or not, is I've, I've still got a stack of my, my uncle got these for me um, back in the day. Uh, Cause he was kind of in the, the, he was in the PR business. I've got uh, a full set of 1968 AFC media guides still laying around pretty pristine. I don't know what they're worth. I've looked online. They're worth in some cases I've seen up to 500 bucks, but I don't want to sell them. It's, it's still pretty cool for me to look back and go, man, those are the original 1968 media guides. I've, I've got those. This is the first year of the AFL NFL or the first year of the, of the, of the Bengals existence. I have a piece of that memorabilia. That's real. Um, so to me, that's the kind of stuff I keep around. I don't go buy collectibles. I'm just not that guy. I don't buy autographed jerseys. I don't, you know, I don't do silent auctions or live auctions for that. It's just, I just don't, I don't have room to put it anywhere, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I do think maybe at some point, if I have like the finished basement with a bar or something, maybe I'll want a few more pieces of my favorite teams or players or something. Like I'll find some of that stuff. I've got, maybe a little I've got so to much to put. Yeah. Yeah, I've got so much of that stuff I could put up. In fact, I'm probably going to redo. We got two downstairs bedrooms that are really kind of we just have used as one's a sewing room and one's kind of a what used to be the kids playroom, for goodness sakes. And still got all their toys scattered about. So I'm just going to get rid of all that stuff someday. I'll probably make one of those into kind of a room. And I just got a lot of stuff I can hang up there. I mean, a ton. Sounds like a new Zoom so room. I'm kind of with you. I, I think I would do. I think it could be. It might be. You might be right. All right, let's get into our betting segment here. Last week you were six and eight. I was eight and six. That brings you to 54, 35, and one overall. I'm gaining some ground on you. I'm at 50, 39, and one now. Miami of Ohio is. But can I tell you in real life, tell you in real life, the the four team parlay I hit though? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty good one. I had Bengals Bengals money line, um, Tennessee money line. Indianapolis money line and Green Bay minus six and a half. It's pretty good. Couple of underdogs in there. I imagine the payout on that was pretty nice. It was it was pretty nice. I will give you that. It, it's it's made for for me to be able to probably have a bankroll through the end of the year. So that's a good thing. And nice. I'll probably piss it away by the end of the year. Well, you and uh, my fiance both, as as you know, I think everyone saw that on Twitter. Yes, fact, there was some. Bring, uh, bring, bring, well, well, break, break. Yeah, there were some calls for her to replace me, replace me here on this show after she hit a, a five team parlay and like the third bet she's ever placed. You know, she opened up an account like two years ago, and this is like the third time she's used it because we happened to be over in Lawrenceburg for lunch, and she was bored while I was betting on games, so she bet five favorites. Couldn't talk her out of taking Alabama to cover against Tennessee and, and a couple others. That cover. Yep, but she did, and uh, I did not. So she she hit the five teamer for six hundred bucks, and uh, I saw a very slight profit margin on the day. So now I'm listening to things like 
Why is it so hard for you to make money doing this? I don't understand things yeah, like that. So. Yeah. See, she, if she starts saying that stuff, dude, that that's almost like that's the person that goes to the racetrack, wins the very first time um, and, and goes, this game is easy. And usually <laughs> when you hear that this game is easy person, you see them about 10 years later looking for t- tickets that have been thrown down, hoping that there's somebody threw down a winner. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I think this one is just going to be rubbed into my face and trying right. to ruin my and, happiness. And, and that and that part is that part is fair. It's like that. Yeah, it's like the the person I I do all this work to handicap a race and I get beat at the wire by some thirty eight to one long shot named named Mister Whiskers and and Grandma Susie loves the name Mister Whiskers and she's jumping up and down with her two dollars show bet and I'm sitting over here stewing because it cost me a pick four. It's one of those. Yeah, or I mean, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, maybe she is just good at gambling because and maybe. Uh, a few years ago, uh, she won her office bracket pool, and it was the year that Texas Tech made a run. Oh, my. Yeah, and she had Texas Tech like go into the finals or something. I don't So, yeah, it was, it was something weird like that. She had a very strange Final Four that I laughed at when I originally saw it, and then it ended up being like three of the four teams. So, <laughs> yeah. So, now that I think about it, maybe she's actually just good, and maybe I should ask her for more picks. So, those of you who wanted her picks, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you my crappy picks again this week. Miami of Ohio is off, so... You can rearrange your weekend plans around that must-see team yep, being off the yep. board. Thursday at 8.20, we've got Packers against the Cardinals in Arizona. Cardinals are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 50 in the hook. Yeah, maybe no DeAndre Hopkins, it looks like, and maybe no J.J. Watt, but uh, this team is legit to me. And the fact that no Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard. Listen, I think Aaron Rodgers is, is terrific, but the Randall Cobbs and Marquez Valdez scantlings of the world are not Devontae Adams. It's weird. Do you know this? Do you know the stat that the Packers have played six games without Devontae Adams? Do you know what their record is? Six and I saw this, oh, this morning. And all his efficiency stats isn't are that off the that's a, isn't that something? Isn't that crazy? It I mean, is. that sounds I almost insane to me. I didn't have the time to look farther into it, though. I have to imagine it's a discrepancy in the competition they've played. It, it, it may be. Because, you know, when we watched those two here in Cincinnati, it looked like it was the Devontae Adams show and what else, what other weapons did he have, right? Exactly. um, (laughs) He was looking for him on almost every target in that game. But I I think Arizona's legit, and it's not just Kyler Murray. They can run it. Um, You know, they got, they got. I mean, A.J. Green's having a renaissance to some degree. Christian Kirk's good. So, yeah, they'll miss DeAndre Hopkins if he doesn't play. But that defense is legit. I'm going to go Arizona 27-17. So, Arizona and the under for me. We're pretty close on this, and we have the same end result. I'm going Cardinals 28, Packers 21, so I'm the Cardinals and under as well. You know, both of these teams are pretty good. Both of them are 6-1 and one against the spread, but even though I saw that stat about Devontae Adams and, and Rodgers and it scared me a little bit, I still just can't see the, the Packers winning this game without Devontae Adams. Like, I, yeah, I, I just don't I, think I don't their either. offense is good enough against this Cardinals team, so... Yeah, I'm going to roll with the Cardinals in the under here, too. Brings us to Saturday at noon. We've got UC as a 25-and-a-half-point favorite at Tulane. 61-and-a-half is the total. Last three games for Tulane's defense, they gave up 52 to Godforsaken East Carolina. Gave up 40 to Houston. Houston's pretty good. Gave up 55 to SMU. They've also given up 61 to Ole Miss this year, and they've given up 40 to Oklahoma this year. Um, I think UC, if you think they needed to get snapped back to attention, and they probably did, right? I think they got that with Navy. Um, and this two-lane defense is just so bad. I, I think UC gets back on track in a major way. I'll go Bearcats 52-17. So UC, and I'm guessing I didn't even – that's got to be the over, right? That's the 52, over, 17. Yeah. yeah, it's over. 52. You, UC in the over for me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar here. I'm going 49 to 14. You see in the over as well. And, and for me, it just comes down to looking at that two lane defense. I mean, what they've done the last three weekends against bad AAC, SMU's pretty good, but Houston and ECU are, are fairly questionable. And this UC team is going to be feeling down. The coaching staff has their attention. It's going to be one of those get right, feeling good type of games. So I, I feel like you could have made this spread about 35 and a half, and I probably still would have taken it. That brings yeah. us to Saturday, 7 o'clock. We've got UK as a one-point favorite at Mississippi State. The total is 47 here. Hey, Kentucky's gotten a little bit healthier during the bye week. I think it's a good thing that they had the bye week. I would have really been leery of this game coming off of Georgia, just the emotional letdown of it, but you kind of got a chance to take a deep breath, get the reset button. Um, all of those things. Mississippi State's playing much, much better. So this is, I think, going to be a, a, a tough one. But I, I think Kentucky gets the job done. Uh, for whatever reason, they've kind of had Mike Leach's number um, with what he's trying to do offensively. Uh, they, they One year, they, play, they they rushed three all night and dropped eight. And I think the quarterback completed like 40 passes, and they still almost shut him out 24-2. to two. Um, So, yeah, I think they've, they've kind of got their number. But um, And I believe in this Kentucky defense. I think it's really, really good. I think they'll get back to running the ball efficiently. I, I think they're going to realize – that you just, you know, that, that, that Georgia Stonewall, this will be like a walk in the park compared to what they went against two weeks ago. So I'll, I'll go Kentucky 27, 27-19. So Kentucky and the under for me. I like Kentucky here as well. Mississippi State lost to LSU, lost to Memphis, got smoked by Alabama by 40. I mean, I just look at those. I mean, Kentucky beat LSU by 21. That game was never really in question. I just don't see, even though it's on the road, I know it's the SEC any given weekend, but I just don't see UK losing this game. I'm going to go Wildcats 28, Mississippi State 24. So that's UK and the over. Saturday at 7.30, we've got Penn State at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are an 18.5 point favorite. The total is 61 there. What point does the Bloom come off a good old James Franklin? I mean, he keeps getting talked about for the USC job. And well, what's he done at Penn State? It's a good question. They started off okay, but look at who those teams were against. Those first five wins, really not all that impressive the way things have shaken out this yeah, year. The, the, yeah, the, the Auburn win, I think, is impressive still. I'll, I'll give them all the Auburn win. But yeah, I mean, the other wins, Wisconsin can't do anything on offense. Ball State, Villanova, and Indiana. Okay, the last two, Iowa and Illinois, both wound up being losses. The Illinois game at home in 67 over. I think they're still running two-point conversions in that game, as a matter of fact, trying to to win it. Illinois stinks. Um, I know Sean Clifford's gotten healthier, and I think that's probably going to help some because he's been compromised by by all the injuries. He's playing through it, and he just can't do much with his feet because he's trying to avoid getting, getting hit. But their offense is just putrid. They don't run the ball very well. And Ohio State just right now to me is a well-oiled machine. I'm going to go Buckeyes. I think Penn State's defense is good. And I say that despite the fact of the score I'm going to give you. I'm going to go Buckeyes 38-17. All right. So you're going 38-17. That will be the under, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the think, under there. So I, said, got- I think Penn State's defense is pretty good. I, I will give them that. But this Ohio State offense is so good. 38 Almost seems low, but it's still 30. It's a lot of points, man. Yeah, I'm going Ohio State 42, Penn State 21 here. So I'm on Ohio State and the over. It's a, it's a big total at 61, but Ohio State just, they put up points on everybody. It does, yeah, I, Penn, do. yeah, I know Penn do. State's defense is good, but they just score against everybody. I don't think you're holding them under 42. So 
OSU in the yeah, year. Yeah, what, 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 yeah, I'm going to stop you there for just a second. If I were to ask you, and we talked about UC football and the college football playoff ranking. Right now, eyeball test. Give me the four teams that, that your eyeball test you would take. Just off the eyeball test. Just the four best teams in the country. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Just, just kind of. This is completely subjective on your part. Yeah. Well, in my be, part, when I give it, it'd be Georgia. It'd be Ohio State. It'd be Alabama, and I think I'd go UC. I, it's it's, it's fun. that's the exact literally exact order I would go the the literal exact order Georgia one Ohio State two Alabama three UC four Ohio State eyeball test to me is is they are to me honestly I'm I'm a big I I think they're clearly the second best team in the country eyeball test wise I think the line of demarcation clearly is Georgia right I mean they there's they're there until somebody kicks them off the perch and I don't think anybody's going to do it to be quite frank but Ohio no. State right now is just on a roll I am a big line of demarcation guy as I know you, you know. are and I mean. I, I'm with you. Ever since that Akron game, look at their offensive totals. Oh, 59, silly. 52, 66, 54. I know the competition hasn't been great, folks, but I think we're going to see. They scored this 44 week. in the first half Saturday. Well, that that we talked about that one, too. That was my favorite play on the board. That was we mine were both too. all over it. I basically yep. I didn't like the board that much. I just I went didn't either. really heavy. I did like a I guess it would have been a four unit play for me on Ohio State and just for the most part, call it a day. I bet some other games just have something to root for. Right. But. So, yeah, no, I, I was, I was kind of with you because I didn't like the board either. And I got killed on everything else other than Ohio state. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think they're the second best team in the country right now. The, the loss to Oregon isn't great, but it's not the end of the world either the way Oregon's played this year. So I think that's how I'd do it. I'd go Georgia, Ohio state, Alabama, and then you see, all right, back to our betting picks. We've got the NFL action Sunday, one o'clock. We've got Bengals at the Jets. Ten and a half point favorites are the Bengals, and the total is 42 and a half. I'm still trying to scratch research to figure out the last time or if the Bengals ever were a, a, a road favorite by double digits. Jay Morrison and I, and Jay loves to dig up crazy stats, as you know, from The Athletic. We were talking about it. He came up with a couple games he think it might have been, an 83 game at Houston and an 82 game at Indianapolis. That was a Colts team that didn't win a game. If I reckon right, it was a 82 was a strike short year. They only played nine games. I think the Colts went 08 and one, and they were just awful. Um, so being a, a double digit road favorite obviously is in rarefied air for really any team in this league, let alone the Bengals. But I, I think I got to lay it. I hate to lay it, Rick, because it's just I, people go, "Oh, the Jets are terrible." It's like I, just the NFL man is just so goofy. I mean, I can see the Bengals sloughing their way to a 27-17 goofy win where they give up a special teams touchdown or something weird happens just because it's the league. But it's it's the Jets are bad. If you get on them early, I got to imagine they fold tent kind of like they did the last game. And it's Mike White. I mean, Mike White's making his first career start. and He's been out of college for four years, I think. And, and um, you know, they're, they're kind of, listen, I know they're going to probably be refocused, but they're also hurt. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Bengals. I'll go Bengals 30 to 10. I think they win this quite comfortably, to be honest with you. That's right. Bengals on. in the under. I had Bengals 31 10. So I, yeah, okay. I'm in the same boat. And if it wasn't the Mike White situation at quarterback and everything, and if this Bengals team was more of who I expected them to be coming into the season, a right. team with a, a potent offense, but a questionable defense that was inconsistent. I'd be much more thinking there's no way they're going to cover a 10 and a half point spread. This spread was at eight and a half after Sunday night when we did our Bengals wrap up podcast right, from the Ravens right. game. It's now moved to 10 and a half. That doesn't surprise me at all. We, we talked about the public's going to be all over that line with it being under 10. Um, now that it's over 10, it's a little less enticing, but I still just think it, the, as consistent and dominant as this Bengals defense has been, they're not going to let 
White Mike put up too many points on them. So yeah, no, I, I don't see it happening either. We'll go to Sunday, 8.25 p.m., Cowboys at the Vikings. The Cowboys are two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 55. Dallas coming off the bye. I believe Minnesota actually coming off. Both teams coming off the bye, and I think Minnesota probably needed it more than Dallas did, although it gives Dak a chance to rest up. Um, I'm going to take Minnesota in the outright upset. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. I'll go Minnesota 34-31. So Minnesota outright in the over for me. Well, we definitely agree on the over situation. I think that there's definitely going to be a lot of points scored here. The Vikings have three wins, and they're all over bad teams. I know I'm playing all the favorites here, and maybe I just learned this from my fiance after watching her last week. <laughs> and I'm just going to stick with that theory and go all chalk here. But I don't know. The Cowboys, 6-0 against the spread, only need to win this by a field goal. Assuming Dak is fine, he's been a little banged up. Assuming he plays and is fine with that calf injury, I'm going Cowboys in the over here, 34-24. Their offense is ridiculous. It is. You know they're going to score points, so then it becomes a matter of, is their defense good enough to slow down the Vikings? And this Vikings team just isn't too explosive on offense. And again, the games that they've played well in have been against bad teams. Cowboys are not a bad team. No, Cowboys are not a bad team. I just... That, that line seems fishy to me, to be honest with you. It's almost like they're begging you to take Dallas, literally begging you. And I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not falling for your trap, Vegas. Thank you. I agree with that. Monday at 8.15 p.m., we've got the Giants at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 52. Skinny, what do you do with the Chiefs here? Do I keep chasing them? Do I keep laying the points with the Chiefs and, and betting them as favorites or what? Yeah, I told you, I, I did not like them in the last game. I was surprised they were a five-and-a-half-point road dog at Tennessee because I think Tennessee's really good offensively against that bad defense. I didn't think the Chiefs would get boat race like they did and only hang a, a field goal on the board. Something ain't right, man. They're, 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 not, they're not consistent enough offensively. Um, I, you know, I, I think everybody's out pointing the fingers. Is Pat Mahomes still elite? Hell yeah, Pat Mahomes is still elite. But they're just a kind of a mess offensively. They've added so many new parts that I just wonder if they just don't mesh for some reason. And that defense is a train wreck. That's a disaster. Um, this, this looks like a get-right game, but the Giants are coming off their best game of the year, albeit against bad Carolina, but they kind of started to, to, to get things going a little bit in that game, and maybe they feel a little bit of confidence here. It seems so easy to only have to hang nine and a half, and I'm probably going to regret this after Monday night. I, I, don't, I don't really like the game because of that. But the Chiefs, I just, you know, I can always count on them scoring, and now I don't know if I can count on them scoring, at least to the level they need to score to keep up with that bad defense. The Giants are not great offensively, but Kansas City's so damn bad defensively. I'll go Kansas City 30-24, so I'm going to go Giants and the over. Well, we're both on the over here. I like the Chiefs to cover this one, 35-21, so I'm on the Chiefs and the over. And you're, and you're probably going to be right. I, I um, For one, I'm chasing the Chiefs a little bit at this point because I've continued to bet them and there's been some tougher games and I think, oh, well, they really need this one. So they're going to win it. And then they get absolutely blown out. So they're clearly not right, but their offense is still pretty good. And especially when they're playing the lesser teams on their schedule, it's been pretty damn good. Still, they've played a really difficult schedule to this point, probably the toughest in the NFL. If you, you look at it, I mean, the chargers are probably up there with them. There's maybe another team or two. Uh, 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 the Titans, the Bills. I mean, yeah, they know you're yeah, the Titans Ravens. and Bills, but but and the play, Chiefs and they play the Ravens on the road. No, they played a really tough schedule. Yeah, no they've question. played a really tough schedule. They're just two and five against the spread at this point. But 
this Giants team is not very good. I know they looked a little bit better, but they're not very good overall. I, I think the the Chiefs can pretty much name how much they want to put up here offensively, and and they'll win comfortably. So yeah, and it being on Monday night probably adds a little more juice to it. But I just I, I can't trust them. I just can't do. It. I'm I'm probably. I probably will make a play on this game because it's Monday night and that's the dumbest thing to do, as you know. But I, I really don't like the number at all. I don't either. And uh, I'm sure after this week, I'm just going to be crossing the Chiefs off my list forever <laughs> for the rest of the year. But I'm going to keep chasing for time being. Yep. All right, let's get to some Ask Skinny Anything. We've got a handful of questions to get to here. The first one is more of a request than it is a question. Uh-oh. Uh, Skinny, if the Bengals make the Super Bowl, will you regrow your mustache? Oh, man. How long do I have to keep it? Uh, that wasn't specified here. Uh, I don't know. what. How long does it take to grow? Like a month? Oh, it would, no, probably wouldn't even take uh, take me two weeks tops. Uh, I dude, say two dude, weeks dude, to grow dude, it, maybe right, another right month. Right now, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling stubble all across my face at the moment, and I shaved yesterday about, what time did I, about, about 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I mean, I, I've got, I, I it, it comes in pretty fast for me. I could go like three days without shaving and you wouldn't even notice it until I start getting that weird neck beard thing that teenagers in Newport get. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a bad look too, by the way. Oh, it's um, horrible. I, I'll tell you what I will do. I, I, I won't do it. You're going to have to wait until probably after February. I'm going to get through basketball season as a coach. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have the shame of my players seeing, seeing that mustache. Um, and actually it probably will be because the Super Bowl is in February. So I'll tell you what, I will grow one in I will grow one in March. If they make the Super Bowl, I will grow one in March and wear it in March. I can live with that. It'll yeah, that? the whole month of March. March can Madness I, mustache. Here's the thing. I, I I did this one time in honor of Ken Cam and Eddie when I used to be a big Padres fan. I did grow a goatee once. I I didn't really like the look, but it was during the Padres made a made a a world series push back in 90, whatever that was, 96, 97, 98, one of those years. And so in honor of that, I decided to grow a goatee for a period of time in honor of Ken Caminiti. When you said back when I was a big Padres fan, I thought you were going to say pothead. And I don't know why it just sounded like that's what was coming out of your mouth. Yeah. I would say that funny part is that's not my scene for some reason. My scene's a lot of vices and a lot of weird things. It's not my scene. (laughs) We won't get into your weird vices any farther until they're asked about. Uh, Good call. what is Skinny's favorite candy innovation in the last 20 years? Speaking of vices. Innovation? Yeah, candy innovation in the last 20 years. Well, I don't even really know what this is talking about. I assume um, just can- the new candies or something. I, I think the Snickers with almonds. I don't know if that's an innovation or not. Yeah, is, I think yeah. that's exactly what they're looking for here. That sounds yeah. like a good answer. Yeah, the Snick- Snicker. I'm not a big candy guy. Yeah, me um, neither. But Snickers with almonds or... Uh, Hershey kisses with, with with almonds in them too. I'm a big Hershey kisses guy. I can eat I I, I can eat some chocolate. The Sounds like I'm you're dis- a big almonds guy. I, I yeah, good call. I mean, almonds and chocolate are a really good combination. They are outstanding combination. My opinion. I mean, my favorite ice cream is Swiss chocolate almonds. So there we go. Oh, so, yeah. you are a huge almond guy. I must be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I'm 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 not a sweet candy guy. Other than and and you got to really and Mike Leach actually I think talked about this the other night. You, I don't know. You heard his candy corn rant. I'm sure. And about no, his candy, I, I didn't, the, but candy corn does all, suck. Well, no, it was it was all the candies that he likes, and he talked about he likes the the gummies, and he made a point, and he's right. He likes the sprees, and I think he liked the old fashioned sprees, the the non chewable, because now the ones you get are chewable. Yeah, uh, or uh, the the old ones that I, would I, break I your to, teeth. I used to live off those things, man. I I love those things, and then you can't find them anymore. You have to go to specially candy stores to get those. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm just I'm not a big candy guy, but yes, I think Snickers with almonds is a good innovation for me. I never was either. If they would have given out like uh, six packs of frozen wings or something, I would have been a much bigger <laughs> fan of Halloween. 
I kind I kind of like the Baker Mayfield commercial where he's giving the kids the nachos. The, the nachos. Hell yeah, yeah I do too. That's a great. He's a guy after my own heart. There, I get all my calories through like terrible carbs and <laughs> and greasy things. Uh, Skinny's life depends on winning a game of his choice: Twister, Dance Dance Revolution, or the Triangle Game at Cracker Barrel. Which do you choose? Oh, a Triangle Game at Cracker Barrel. I am a master of the Triangle Game at Cracker Barrel. Really? They don't yeah. call you an ignoramus. <laughs> I like that. It's well done. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not a big twister guy and I can't dance a lick. So yeah, I, I take the triangle game of Cracker Barrel for sure. I'll be quite honest. I don't really know how this was even a question. Cause it's like you picked two activities that are going to be highly, uh, involved physically or a game where I get to sit there, drink a refreshment and move golf tees yes, around holes. Correct, I mean, correct, correct. An obvious answer here. An obvious yeah. answer. Yeah, Twister and is this is Twister a thing still? Twister was a thing when I was a kid. Is Twister I still a thing? I think only in pornos. I've seen a okay. few, okay. few of them with it. Okay, but, yeah, okay. There you yeah. go. I assume you have not seen Squid Game. I've not. I know of it. Yeah, I've not. Yeah, it's it's an interesting concept where they're basically having adults play kids' games like red light, green light, and then you get killed if you lose. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't mind coming up with some ideas for that later down the line in the spot. Like, 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 like Marco Polo, and then you drown the person if they lose in Marco Polo. <laughs> they should have used that. That would have been a great one for their yeah, concept. Send that in there. for send that in for for yeah for season two concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm in. All right. Uh, was Skinny a walk with the kids to do trick or treat with them and socialize with neighbors on the way guy, or stay at home and pass out the candy, acting interested in all the costumes guy? Or someone else threw this option out there. Were you the turn off all your lights and go out to eat and make sure no one knows your home guy? Um, I'm probably going to have to do that this year because I'm going to probably be working on Bengal stuff when the kids are coming around and, and nobody else is going to be home. So I may have to actually get out of here as soon as that's over because I don't want my doorbell to keep ringing. No, I was I would occasionally do the kids thing. I wouldn't go very far with them just because I felt like, listen, they they. They want dad to go for a short walk and then my wife would take them through the rest of the neighborhoods and be gone for an hour or whatever. And then at that point, I was always sit at the end of the driveway with a giant, and I mean a giant thing of red wine, just sipping it away, kind of enjoying the night. I kind of actually enjoyed that. I, you know, as long as it wasn't like so cold that you couldn't even, you know, see your, see your, and then the neighbors, we'd all kind of conjugate at the end of the night and and talk. Yeah. It was always, I always, I always enjoyed it. We, you know, kind of the neighborhood that I'm living in now, every, all the kids are pretty much grown up and gone. We're kind of all battling to be empty nesters at this point. We all kind of joke about it, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's kind of what we did is the next door neighbors would kind of come over and they'd sit and they go, this is for our house. And, you know, people across the street would come over or vice versa. And we'd kind of go, yeah, hey, we're all over here. This is where, it's, you know, that's my house, but I'm over here. And I was always, I always enjoyed that. I didn't mind that. Yeah, that seems like a, a pretty solid in the, in the list of, activities and holiday things you have to do as a parent with the kids and be there for like, I understand you enjoy doing things with your kids, everyone, whatever, but in the list of like things you're actually going to enjoy as an adult as well, Halloween seems pretty high on the list. Yeah. It's, 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 it's I mean, there's little minimal effort if you're just sitting there handing out candy, right? Yeah. It seems like everyone just no, sits I will say, at the end I, of a uh, driver with a fire. And I, I was and never eats. the guy that goes, Oh, you look, you look so cute. Oh, what are you, little cat? No, it's just hey, here you go. Here's your candy bar. Go on, kid. Go to the next house. I mean, I, I, I wasn't like admiring costume guy. I was just like, hey, here you go, kid. Have a candy bar. Now, in and I'm role, not chintzy either, by the way. In your role as a high school basketball coach, you're not having the uh, students dance and grind on you like at Hazard, Kentucky. 
My word, what were they thinking, by the way? If people uh, haven't seen this, you got to go look at it. I, I heard this yesterday. I'm like, that can't be real. That I, can't be. I, I know, I'm still trying to figure out what the background of that, Rick. What, what was it for? Because all those adults were, were yucking it up like they thought it was funny. Yeah, it was like a pep rally deal. And I think, you know, like a homecoming yes. uh, pep rally type deal. And they called it their boys pageant or something like that. But they had oh, girls come out in Hooters outfits with beers at one yes. point. Yes. And then they had guys dressed in drag that was like grinding on the teacher. And you might hear this. You're like, oh, come on. We're getting put out of proportion. Look, all the guys no, dressed up like cheerleaders it. back in go my day. It. That's not the issue. These kids are literally grinding yes. on the teachers, like feeling their bellies and stuff. It's just an awkward look. And then they posted the pictures on the on Facebook school's Facebook Facebook. page, which is just look. It's yes. wild yes. to me that one, it, it was allowed to go on Two. That someone was taking pictures of it and three they were all like yeah we should put these up on the facebook page of the school and no one at any point not one adult was like you know what this seems like a weird look to be jimmy bob let's put up billy bob grinding on you if you want to do it let's put her up on the facebook i can totally oh, see how it's like a tradition for the guys to dress up like cheerleaders or something like that which by the way this isn't what they were doing but no. that happens and then a kid maybe takes it a little too far and something happens but like this was a full on three or four adult administrators are like standing there laughing and having a good old time with it. And then they uploaded it to their Facebook page. What are we Boy, doing? What are we doing? That's exactly right. <laughs> what like, are we doing? Do you, every day there are stories out there about teachers doing inappropriate things with kids and you're publishing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that's the part for me is is whatever layers of adults that went through to think it was a good idea to put it on Facebook. Or do I it in the first place, but then put it on Facebook. I can't get over that part. The part about hmm. them like broadcasting it to the world and being proud of it. Insane. Uh, and then doubling down and thinking everyone else is are the idiots is like amazing. I mean, that is Hazard Kentucky as it gets. <laughs> Shout out to Hazard. Yes. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff, man. I appreciate it. As always, keep the questions coming. Uh, we will be back again on Sunday night for our post-Bengals podcast, so be aware of that. We'll be back with this podcast one week from today. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly co-pre edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.